Hey, hey. Welcome to Life Music and the Pursuit of Answers. I'm Phil Circle. I'm sitting here with a uh, woman I've had the pleasure of working for, teaching at her two music stores in Chicago for the last few years. Um, and it's anytime there's not a student and she's not telling people what to do, we're yapping about something or other. And so I don't want to keep that to myself. Uh, so, and uh, uh, I'll just ask Chris Bell here a little bit about your own background, Chris. Oh, yeah. You can just give people a little rundown who you are, where you're from, what you do, what you do. Sure. Well, um, I'm not a musician, oddly enough. I, uh, I was a union pipe fitter for 24 years in Chicago, and uh, in my 20s, I was 25, I went to the local music store and bought my first guitar and started taking some lessons. So I took some group lessons. You know, here I bought my guitar here at Flats and Sharp. It sits in the room for the kids to learn on now. I, uh, I took group lessons at Old Town, like everyone in Chicago has. Right. And, then, uh, um, and then I realized, like, oh, I wanted to really learn how to play guitar. Uh, the social aspect of the group was awesome, but I was like, maybe I should actually take some lessons. And so I came over here to Flats and Sharp and took lessons with Michael O'Toole who now teaches at Old Town, and um, uh, became friendly with Ed Mooney, the owner. And, um, and then, you know, like most people, the, the guitar sat in the living room uh, collecting dust, but, but I've always been around artists and musicians, and um, I owned the party house in the neighborhood for many, many years. And all, you know, all the parties were there, um, all the bands came out of there, Penthouse Prowlers, which started out at, at Sex Fist, um, which even before that was the Back Porch Ramblers that no right. one even knows about, you yeah. know, that was all everybody meeting in the living room, Number 8, Outlaw Family Band, these were all bands that came out of the living room, and uh, we had a great time. And so, so the guitar got used, not necessarily by me. I ended up doing, uh, starting a screen printing business on the side and did posters and t-shirts for bands. Now you were still pipe fitting? Still pipe fitting, yeah. Mm -hmm. Traveling, you know, taking the, asking for a layoff so I could collect unemployment and go on vacation. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. I'd just disappear for three months and we were pretty much living communally at the house at that point. So house would just be taken care of and I'd come home and uh, clean up a giant mess and <laughs> go back to work yeah and then in 2007 I bought flats and sharp hey, uh, on yeah. April Fool's Day on April Fool's Day oh that's yeah. fantastic. so you just uh -huh. had the anniversary because it's mm -hmm. April 18th today we just had our 12 years yeah 12 years man yeah, yeah that's fantastic how's that feel it feels good if it, it, it feels uh, the the my, my sense of pride really only comes in that I didn't let Ed down. So Ed the, started the original in, owner. Yeah, yeah, Ed started it in 1976. I was 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to have and so to have this thing you worked on your whole life. He he was here for 30 years and wanted to retire. I was able to buy it. He financed me. It was all done on a handshake and he took a risk to have something your baby and hand it over and just hope to God someone doesn't ruin it 
you know, I, I took that very seriously. That I, whatever happened, I could not ruin the, his business. It was keeping a, a Chicago institution alive was as much a motivation as anything else. Because mm -hmm. you can always go make money, right? Yeah, I can so always this was, go. This make was not money. just about making a buck. This was about keeping something alive. This was about and you opened a second store uh, up uh, in the northwest side, west kind yeah. of. Uh, Nor Norwood, Norwood Park, Park is the neighborhood. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now for non-Chicagoans, because I know there's people in Portugal who listen. <laughs> um, so uh, we're on the lakefront here in Rogers Park, and I've mentioned that other uh, these podcasts about Rogers Park and a little history of it and stuff. I don't think I've gone too much though into the recent history of, of the neighborhood. You grew up in the neighborhood, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I grew up just north of here in suburban Chicago. Um, but uh, I always spent a lot of time coming over here to Rogers Park. And I remember coming by Flats and Sharp all the time and that kind of stuff. I even remember coming in when I was a, a young guitarist and asking for a job and they said they didn't need anybody. Ah. And I, I, I understand that was a common response. Uh, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh. So, um, but uh, you've then built it up into something really tremendous too. It's like uh, you're about the, what, the second biggest private lesson facilitator in Chicago proper uh, after the Old Town School of Folk Music. And Absolutely. for people who don't know a whole lot about that, the Old Town School of Folk Music has been around almost, like longer than I've been alive. Uh, yeah, man, yeah, they predate us for sure. I, I wish I knew that date. Uh, th I think they predate us by like 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, so I, I think it was the, like early it was the 50s. 50s. Yeah, yeah. So at least, at least like 15 years or something, yeah. yeah. And people like John Prine and Steve Goodman yeah. and such were part of that whole community that, that built that. All those guys, And yeah. it's now... It's, it's, you know, 7,000 students a week go through there, uh, doing mostly group classes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's a big community. They, they, they offer a lot to uh, hobbyists, of course. Yeah. One thing that impressed me when I came, when I came here and, and approached you about, about teaching was uh, I walked in and I knew most of your teachers. Mm -hmm. They're all working out in the scene. And, and it's, I, you know, when I've contracted for any other stores, uh, and through my, my quarter century of teaching, that hasn't been the case. It's basically people who can't get a gig, you know, going, and so they, they're like fulfilling that whole stereotype of, you know, those who can't teach. Yeah. But, and, and yet the best teachers are actually the people who do, you know, and, and so, and, and he has some really top-notch guys. I mean, they're, uh, uh, Mel, Mel Washington. Washington was somebody I'd heard of on the mm. scene, you know, and stuff. And then several other guys I just knew. Like I walked in and it was like, oh, hi, you know. Right. You work, yeah, you work here, what's up, you know. <laughs> so that's cool too because there's, Rogers Park is a real community uh, uh, and, yeah. and the real, uh, there's a lot of arts going on. There's what, about four storefront theaters in the, na in the, oh, the neighborhood? Yeah, even the, the one storefront theater now has a, 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 a Theo Beak. Uh, they're now they have now have like a gorgeous they've they've grown out of just a, a storefront they're, they're like a, a gorgeous theater up on Tui now and do you remember Studs Turkle a great writer Chicago writer the epitome of a Chicago storyteller yeah and uh, he uh, is one of the people credited with starting the storefront theater thing way back in the 1930s under the WPA they would go and find people who, you know, landlords who couldn't rent their storefronts out because businesses were failing, and say, hey, we want to put a theater in here, we're going to put on a show, and they do stuff like that. So it kind of grew out. It's one of the things that makes Chicago 
so unique culturally yeah. and uh, such a, a, a great town of we like and say it's a city that works um, it sounds like we're all you know just wearing construction helmets and crawling around <laughs> underground or something but it's we really we, people like the work of Chicago in everything in the arts we like watching this process I agree you know that it's it's not we're not like oh I want that polish on it no we like like we were talking about about one band that went through like it became three different bands you right. know and stuff and we, we like that because there's like history there's stories you know what's to you the the story of Rogers Park uh, and say over the last 30 years oh my gosh what year is it so 30 years I mean really so I'm I'm uh, or so you know you know, not afraid to say I'm, I'm 51, and uh, I can tell you firsthand, in the 70s, it was a war zone. Yeah. There wasn't guns, guns weren't really on the scene, but baseball bats and knives were the weapons of choice back in the day. That's even more brutal. I mean, it, it is. I know. I mean, I think about that sometimes. I mean, it what was a way to go, man. The brutal, man. People got beat, beat down, bloody screaming in the streets. And, um, you know, trust me, I am not comparing this to the situation on the West Side at all. But... Um, it was brutal, and it was on on my block. It was once a week, you know, just on my one block. It, it was a mess, and uh, throughout the years, it's gotten better and better. There's been a lot of a, a lot of things that contribute to that, you know. What do you think contributed to? You know, I'll tell you, and people don't think about this all the time, but. Um, there is not a bar on every corner anymore. Okay. That's true, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Now, if you think back to the 70s, early 80s, there was an old style sign on the end of every block. So I was coming over here when I was in high school because I had this voice then, <laughs> and I had longer hair, and I could lie quickly enough to get into the bar, and they sure. didn't card you too hard. Um, and that go to hear live music, yeah. So in the early eighties, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you know that's changed. They put a, a moratorium, so now there's a whole process you have to do to get a liquor license. And and it, only in the last five years have the have I really seen these liquor license coming back, you know, um, to different kind of establishments. You can see inside the windows. Right, you right. know, yeah, it's, not, a, like it's a, a wine cavern. store. Yeah, yeah exactly. The cavern, yeah. Uh, they don't open at 7 a.m. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. used to frequent those, sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. And, and to it? clarify, too, I mean, you drink. It's not like you're, you're, you're no. like, you know, you know a, a Jehovah's Witness or something. No. You know, you're no, a very social I no... person. A guy I recorded half my albums with uh, lives just blocks from here. I mentioned your name. He said, oh, yeah, I know her. I said, from where? Oh, I see her in the bars. Yeah, yeah right. So it's not like... <laughs> It's not like you're going, well, you know, thumping a Bible or some oh, similar no, thing. Oh, no, no. But I do. But I you think recognize what, these, what, what certain things do culturally to uh, a neighborhood. Yeah. The only fights I ever got in, I was drinking. Oh. And, and I'm, a, I'm a pacifist, if anything. I will avoid, you well, know. Well, you know, it, it, it's compounds, right? Like, so this is... Um, hey, what's up, Andy? 
this was, I think it's changing now, but this was always known as a, a very culturally diverse, low economic area, right? So if we're going to talk about low economics, then we got to talk about the culture that right. comes with low economics. Totally. And it's all the abuses. It's the alcohol abuse, the drug abuse, the sexual abuse, the domestic abuse. All the abuses come with that culture. And um, as the economics of the neighborhood have changed and uh, you know some things put into place, um, uh, some investments in our schools, um, the moratorium on the liquor license, the uh, as small as and 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 I'll tell you it wasn't so small, but you know I you can say whatever you want about Mayor Daly, but we don't have thirty feet of dead fish on our beaches because of that man. Because you were talking about the the dumb mayor, his honor, right? Yeah, yep, right, yep. right. He said I'm going to clean up the Chicago River, and the media laughed at him and. And, and look this, and at did. it now. You can fish out and of it. And look at yeah. it now. It's gorgeous. Yeah. But really, I mean, again, in the 70s, the, the smell of dead fish would waft its way all the way to Clark Street. And, I, I, and that yeah. helps, you know, that, that with, all, with the culture as it is, it's all a weight. It's all a weight on your shoulders. Yeah. And um, your environment uh, it reflects in certain ways who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, or, or, or if it didn't, it will if yeah. your environment is crappy, you know? And I, and, I, and, I, and I remember what you're talking about, what, what it was, is it was dead fish from the polluted lake, again, for people who are listening, uh, washing up, especially one particular species called alewives. Yes. And they would have to take, uh, uh, like, plows and bulldozers yes. and pick up, like, piles. And you couldn't, I couldn't go, you couldn't Bulldogs. go walk on the, on the piles beach. Of them. And we had the same thing. Again, I was in a nice little suburb up here, and same thing. You couldn't yeah. go to the beach there uh, half the time because of the dead fish. It was disgusting. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, the stench was unbelievable. And the, 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 when you'd be driving downtown, coming down Lakeshore Drive toward downtown and southbound, uh, on what would otherwise be a clear day, and the pollution would be oh, obscuring the, the tops of smogs. Smog, yeah, smoke fog, right? Would be obscuring the tops of buildings, and that's not the case anymore either. No. You know, and and so there's pride in in uh, one's environment, right? You know, does something uh, as well, mm-hmm. which is probably not to go politically in a particular direction, but one thing that sort of baffles me why there isn't just more work to save things and take care of things is just we should have pride in, in, pride. in what we have. Well, then you know what? what you know, when yeah. he started the 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 cleanup days. Um, individuals got more involved, yeah. and um, Harry Joe Osterman is the alderman in the next ward over in Edgewater. But it was his mom. I went to school, the same school as him, and his mom would call everybody and say, "Get your kids down to the beach and give them a garbage bag. We're cleaning up." And my mom would kick us all out of the house, give us each a garbage bag, and say, "Go help Mrs. Osterman down at the beach." Just cleaning up, yeah. but you know, what I mean, it does snowball. It, it really does. does. I mean, not everyone did that, but it did inspire one person, you know, who inspired others, and then you have a sense of civic duty, right? Uh, and, and it's like when you see people out sweeping their sidewalk in front of their place, and you feel like, what's what are they doing? What's the point? Somebody's gonna throw garbage there. Well, so that maybe if people see there's not garbage there, they're less inclined. Right. Exactly. I had a professor in college who, uh, an economics professor. 
and he uh, started a program with the public housing where they would get contracts to do the improvements on the public housing and hire residents right. and train them, apprentice them. And he said the work got done uh, under budget, it was higher quality, uh, ahead of schedule every time. Because these people were going in and working on their neighbor's bathroom tiles. Right. They had some pride in the work, you know? Interesting. And it's like you said about low economics affecting, you know, bringing out the, the, the negative aspects of, of things. You know, for instance, he, he said in, in the, he was in the uh, Dearborn Homes where he did this program. Uh, there were two gangs in there. He got them to do a, a truce, you know, and, but most of the people just didn't have money. It's, it's not a crime to be poor. But then we make it a crime by putting people in these, these adverse circumstances where they're not offered some means of improving their, their life and their environment around them, and that's what he offered. And that program was Section 3 of the Housing Code that came out when the original Section 8 housing was created and all that stuff uh, uh, was uh, put together in the 60s, and it had never been used because nobody figured out how to do it. Huh. You know, and then once he showed how it could be done, some 40 other cities followed suit. And my dad was an economist, and he, would, he, he grew up poor, and he said, he put it this way, he was talking about like how all the abuses make, become worse. He said, poor people drink more. Ah. His, his uncle was a moonshiner, and that was the best way for him to make money. You know, ah. So then you just provide it to everybody around you, and then, you know, my dad was drinking, you know, you know white whiskey when he was, you know, 10 or something. It's just there. Right, you know, right. and, and nobody cares because it's all survival mode. It makes you more animal-like. And while I, you know, grew up maybe, you know, I grew up nice, you know, grew up well, as a musician for all my adult life, I've certainly understood poverty, you know. Yes. There's been a few times where yes. friends were bringing me mac and cheese, you know, <clears throat> Phil, you're not eating here, you know. It's like I'm glad, I feel proud to have put on some weight, you know, because <laughs> it means I'm eating well, you know. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, uh, one of the things I've always enjoyed about, talk, uh, about talking with you is how you have a knowledge of so many areas and, and, and uh, you know, strong opinions that you politely share. I think that's what open dialogue is about. There's no direct attacks on any one group or people. And I think that that's sort of key to improving our world and our troubled nation, you know. And uh, you're also uh, what I call the epitome of Chicago. You're total Chicago, you know. I'm and Chicago. Chicago through yeah. and through. So again, for like uh, we mentioned, one thing Chicagoans like is uh, watching the process of things. If you could you, could you enlighten people to a little bit more of what makes person Chicago like you know, oh my god what, what do you think some qualities are you know now this is I'm sure there's a million things people could say a ton of stuff but you know uh, I particularly enjoy Midwestern values I know that sounds crazy but um, uh, you know, being in the Midwest we're in the middle yeah totally. uh, kind of about everything you know um, I enjoy East Coast sensibilities that no one's messing around. You know exactly how everybody feels about every single topic. 
there's no messing around. Right. Yeah. That's a breath of fresh air, you know. Totally. And I love it. I love it um, out west too, where where uh, no one really cares what yeah. you think, you know. Uh, 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 everyone kind of yeah. cares about themselves, yeah. and and uh, I can fly with that too. But there's there's this balance here in the Midwest that I really. Um, it's communication. We communicate very differently. You know, we don't have to tell you what we think about everything. We don't have to, uh, but we'll listen to what you have to say. And really, my opinion, what does it matter? I'll keep that to myself. But if we, but if we share an opinion, you can be sure it's straight. Yeah. Especially, oh, yeah. In, especially in the, like in Chicago proper. Yeah. When I lived in northern Wisconsin. And nothing against the wonderful people there, but there was a whole lot of everything is sort of fine and don't really feel you really shouldn't talk about that on stage. I heard a few times, you oh, know, yeah, okay. and, and, and I was like, well, why? Well, because it, it makes people uncomfortable. Well, sometimes things, if we can't get uncomfortable, oh, yeah. how are we going to talk about it? Life is all about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. yeah there, hey, that's, <laughs> that's well put. That there's, is. Uh, there's that, the T-shirt you, of the day. Yeah. If you can do Quick, that, get you're yourself be, screened okay. around it. Yeah. Get comfortable <laughs> being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, life well, presents itself with a ton of those problems, right? Yeah. I. I you know. And, and and what's interesting too, you say that, and that's something. For instance. Uh, watching all the changes in the world today, um, in, in so many places, um, I've looked at my position as a middle-aged, middle-class white man, mm-hmm. and I, so it's made me reflect on on that on being that. What does that even mean? And it shouldn't mean anything because we're all humans, right? But we make it mean something. So it's it's caused me to kind of look at it and I've gone, oh. I didn't even realize until I examined these things, which is kind of, to me, the excitement about all the things happening in the world, until, yeah, that I get to examine things I hadn't yeah. thought to examine, because right. I love doing, I love learning, I love Then I gotta tell you, know. you I, I just uh, had a swim lesson up at Loyola University this morning, and I was, my swim instructor is part, she, she's Caucasian, she's part of some Asian dance club, and uh, she, was talking about, I don't, she was just at something and she was like, I never know when I'm overstepping bounds. Mm-hmm. And, and we, were, we were talking about white privilege a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, you know, Courtney, when someone's honest, when someone's honest, when someone's themselves um, and their intentions are honest and you know, pure, that, that speaks volumes. That's yeah. the whole thing right just there. Just ask. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's, that everyone knows where everyone's at, just based on that. But um, it's when the, these, this white privilege is exercised, right. is when it gets fuzzy yes. and uncomfortable, yes. and things aren't really being honest anymore. And then, so should I be, should I feel guilt or remorse yeah. by the realization that throughout much of my life, I would walk into a room and if I was the white male, it was assumed I was in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, there's no guilt or remorse for that because who knew? I didn't. Right. I didn't even right. realize it was happening until I look back on my life and I realized, man, so many times it was just, I just walk in and it was like, and I was treated differently, like in a weird way. Yeah. You know, not a positive way because it's not positive that I should be treated differently 
in a privileged fashion any more than somebody ought to be treated differently in an underprivileged fashion. Man, but the fact that so, people are even examining know, this. That's what's so positive. Is a giant step. It's huge. It's just such a giant step. Yeah. It, it's just such a giant step, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I almost feel like maybe this is a good way to, to, to segue about uh, um, the event we're having mm -hmm. this weekend. Now, be, now, because the podcasts are kept around forever, we should remind yeah. people as you bring this up, because it'll go up right away, okay? But we should, I should remind people that you have events at Flats and Sharp all the time. All so this true. is just going to be an, exa an example of one of many kinds of events that you, that you have. So oh, that, that's that true. if you don't make this particular one, you can, you know, check in any old time, and we'll, we'll find out at the end here, or we just say it now. Where do they find yeah, you Yeah, go to flatsandsharp.com and go to the events page. There we go. Uh, on our website, and it's all laid out there. Uh, I would say every, every other, sometimes every Saturday, every other Saturday, we have uh, live music. It's always free. It's always BYOB. And it's always early, um, so you can bring kids. Because kids never get to see real live music. I had an assistant that I was working for me for a time, 25 years old. He, I took him to a live concert that, where they were recording the performances for, for video. So it was like oh, a yeah. soundstage kind of thing. Mm -hmm. right? He had never been to a live concert in his life. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And I don't, I don't know what that's like because I'm the son of a musician. So it was, I, I, I think I was six or seven years old, I was at the opera, you know. So. Right. You know, I don't. I don't understand, but well, I realize that's unusual. I, I, you know. Dude, that said, that's that's what's cooking this Saturday, April twentieth, at um, six thirty at the store. Is a quartet from the CSO, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, is coming by. Um, I should say the striking members of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, because they are on strike right now because management is trying to. Um, take away their pension, and uh, as well as they, they've been working for a year without a contract, and uh, they have had less than a 1% raise every year, not keeping up with inflation, nowhere near, they are nowhere near in salary their colleagues at other symphonies. And, and everyone's gotta remember, man, Chicago, we have one of the best. These guys are the best of the best in the world. Uh, now, the sh members of the Chicago Symphony also play for the Lyric, correct? I believe. Lyric Opera, because they have a symphony in the pit. Right? They do. I, I don't know if they're the same people. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but that's the quality of work we have. Oh, I, I know yeah. That the, I know that the Lyric Opera of Chicago, and I believe Chicago Symphony Orchestra also... Uh, in, in their category, the most Grammys in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, they're not, they're not, and whatever you want to say about awards shows and the Grammys and et cetera and blah, blah, blah. But when you're talking about classical music, I think it's fair to say that the people who are voting on uh, uh, the, the classical music and the Academy uh, are probably partic more particular about it than the people that are voting for Lady Gaga, who yeah. is, by the way, classically trained. Yeah, I know. So I, know. I love that bit, you know. But yeah, so in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, you know, my mom wrote, used to write program notes for them in the lyric. 
So if right. she were alive, she'd be up in arms over it, and she probably she knew a bunch of people. It was with the first cellist of the Chicago Symphony. She founded an opera company that's still going, and, and they're gone, you know, and stuff. So these people are not only doing their work, you know, to make this incredible symphony remain incredible and, you know, give quality music to, to the world, literally. Uh, but they're they're going and doing other things. They're giving back in other ways. Oh man, you know? they should do. They're like coming here to flats and sharp and playing. These, these you know folks, they're not going to be. They're not getting paid like big dough. Well, they haven't but, gotten you know, paid in months. Yeah. At this point, they canceled the whole season, so the the musicians are no longer getting paid, but they still have to afford their lives. Yeah. They still have to pay their. $3,000 a month insurance premiums. They still have to pay their mortgages and the tuition. Uh, it's, you know, as someone who manages artists, you know, we're, we're talking, and I'm not talking about everybody, but I am going to stereotype a little here. As someone who manages... We'll call it generalized. Yeah, I'm going to generalize, <laughs> all right? Artists are really great at being artists. They're not necessarily really great organizers. And so here, so, you know, I always, um, Max Ramey is a violist in the CSO, and we're friends, and um, uh, he has a child that takes lessons here. That's how we've become friendly over the years. And uh, I always joke, I'm like, the CSO is just another band. It's just another rock band, you know? And just like a rock band needs management to, Book the gigs, you know, set you know, satisfy the travel plans, make sure everyone gets paid, da da da. The CSO also has a management, right? Because that's the CSOA. So the CSOA has not, in my opinion, done a great job at all. The they they claim this is a financial problem, but they're in charge of the finances. The musicians so, have uh, always kept up their end of the bargain. Begs the question then, if it's a financial problem, why are you punishing the people who actually can provide the financing by depriving them of a season? Right. So you're, And why are you punishing the people that are, in essence, the product? Yeah. This is a similar argument to... Uh, you know, to the, the American record industry in general, mm. you know. And a lot of the stuff you're talking about is why I, what I've done with my own label, where I coach the artists on my label to handle certain aspects of the business, but mainly the ones that involve what human relationships, which artists understand because they're all about the human condition, right? So you've been accepted by this radio station, uh, now, send them an email, thank them, and ask them if you could come do an interview. Right. You didn't have to watch the five rejections that came through. I'm not even going to tell you about right. it. Right. You know, so it's this sort of thing, managing things so that they can continue to create freely and create greater relationships, involve people more deeply with the arts. Uh, instead, uh, and, and, and uh, having been an independent artist all my life and, and having had side businesses way back in the day, I, I know that, and having managed you know, business, other people's businesses too early on, I know the two most important people when you have a business are the employees and the customers. And the CSOA just said, "Screw the employees and the customers. We're going to 
blame them and punish them and uh, right. instead of and figure they out came what we and they said was it last week or 10 days ago or something and said this is our last and final offer there are no other solutions that's what they came to the of table course there with are other solutions. now this of course there is this is not negotiated no. this is not this is so so you know again they they and i would like to encourage anyone that hears this go to the um csomusicians.org website and read about these particulars. Read about the facts. You know, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm giving you some of my opinion here, but you, you can go to the website and just read the facts. Um, you can also go to the uh, CSO's, or, or the um, Symphony Center's website, and... Um, Try and navigate it. Uh, Helen Zell has a very interesting uh, two- or three-minute video about how important it is to have a, a clean financial house. I wish she was thinking that way five years ago. Um, and uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Alexander, who's you know a little bit more eloquent, um, describing the other side of the story. But I do encourage everyone to go look at both sides of the story. And I think when you objectively look at both sides of this story, it is pretty clear who did their job and who did not do their job and who's potentially going to get punished. It makes no sense. I mean, it's not absolute nonsense. And so, yes, the, the website, you know, the, there's, there's so much management could do. There's so much management could do. Management should be knocking my door down for mm -hmm. me, the second largest music school in Chicago, to have a season subscription. Because I have a facility where people with expendable income are investing in, in music. music. Well, now, wouldn't you think it. I'd be a good spokesperson for this? Yeah. Because what goes on, it, it, and instead, they're, again, here's my opinion, folks, but they're going over after the easy money. Let's show Lord of the Rings behind the symphony and have them play, right, and play Lord of the Rings. Right, soundtrack, yeah. Listen, man, I, I love me some Lord of the Rings. I love that. This is, this is cheap, lazy maneuvers. And because not... what these folks do is art, and you can sit there, and I don't care what the piece is, you are going to feel it in your chest. You're going to feel moved. You're going to feel inspired. It's going, the art will sell itself. We don't have to turn this into pop plastic BS. Yeah. And it's what you said, the easy money. What's funny about that, whenever people talk about easy money, the first thing I think of is there's nothing easy about it. It's going to be gone that quick. Mm. You're, not, you're not even looking at what, what marketers call the chasm or the long tail. Uh, right. You know, where, you, you know, okay, I can make a buck right now, but as soon as that's spent, I'm, I'm you know, now what? Now it's what? Like, it's like uh, what I tell uh, musical artists all the time, well, you know, how do I get a crowd out? And I was like, well, you start by getting your friends and family out there so the venue will bring you back, but do not depend on them for your second show. No. You know, you have to get each one of them to bring somebody who's actually going to really like your music because friends and family are your worst critics. They might not even like, I have friends go, Phil, I don't even like your voice or no. <laughs> My, I have one of my brothers, he's like, I don't like don't all this. Back. Yeah, I have one of my brothers, he's like, I don't like all this solo stuff, man. Why don't you do something with the band? I like when you really tear it up on the electric. 
Well, that's cool. That's, this is because I'm t what, we, what musicians do, what creative people do, is, is uh, uh, fill in the stories for people. Yeah. You know? And, and that's why when you hear that song that really means everything to you and you remember why and all that sort of stuff, you're not thinking about what the songwriter was thinking. You're thinking about what, how it affects you. They're yeah. filling in your sto story for you. And from a standpoint then of, of a, a less profound thing uh, that is becoming more profound, from the standpoint of the CSO's marketing, they're doing old school marketing. Old school marketing. Just uh, interrupt everybody with advertising. Well, people know better than that on the internet now you, 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 because it, I can choose not to click. Mm -hmm. I, I, or on TV, I can, I can skip the commercials or I can buy a subscription without commercials, interruptions. That doesn't work anymore. And, and now what is working, it's taken a 180 degree turn, is you, you get permission from people. Yes. Well, the CSO has permission from everybody who's a patron and everybody who's a subscriber to the CSO to, you know, because they're saying, I, I support you, here's my money. They have permission from them to, to, to uh, reach out and say, hey, do you have some people you could bring to one of these concerts who you know would really love this and uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll tell their story for them well, and, 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 and educate them about, you know, because, right. come on, the idea that, that, that it's for old people, again, I'm biased, I grew up on this stuff, right? But I'm still a contemporary musician. Um, but the idea that oh, it's for old people, it's old, old music, it was written by old white men, well, not if you start including some of the stuff that Duke Ellington wrote uh, that's classically motivated yeah. and things like that. But, but that's, that's another, that's stylistic question, I guess, genre-related. But if you just you, you consider the fact that I can educate somebody as quickly about the Beatles and blues by playing something by a guy that died in 1685 named Bach, obviously it isn't just for old people. Right. You know? And then when they have access to people like Terry Hammer on XRT. Yes, that's what I know, was thinking, yeah. Those box, box yeah, Beatles things. Yeah, yeah. You know? There are so many of these other things they could do, or, or find another Studs Terkel, great storyteller, to become involved in, 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 in like what you're saying then too. Yeah, it, it's about, um, I, I don't believe that management over there has kept up, has kept their marketing department fresh. I think they go, over the, go for the easy money and I think they are kowtowing to a dying audience. And I mean age-wise, yes. dying yeah. audience. And um, there's a lot of, and I did, I wrote him a letter and I told him this, like there's a ton of us out here. I went to the website and tried to figure out how to get um, a season subscription and I've gone three or four times now. I can't figure it out. I think you actually have to call and do it the old fashioned way. Um, which would, that would be something that they could, you know, become current with. It would make perfect sense. Right. I, Where's I, my CSO app? Yeah, Get exactly. Your tickets now. Exactly. You know? And so there, and the, and hasn't there always been some weird iron curtain between the fine arts and the working class? Right. Like the opera. No, opera is not my thing. It just isn't. But yeah. um, or it, it, there is something intimidating about getting those tickets like what do I wear what where uh, um, 
how are they going to be too expensive? Am I going to be embarrassed if I go up to the window and I'm like, oh, and, no, I wasn't planning And wouldn't that. that be a very sensible thing for them to just simply approach, like we were talking about Chicago style? Make it accessible, just, yes. Just, just ask. We're talking about culture. We're talking, we're talking right. about our, uh, the, the, the personality of Chicagoans. We're talking about dealing with changes in the world. Just ask. So... It, um, that would be the kind of thing that they could address. Communication. When you I buy think your that's tickets, what marketing we'll you, is all about. Yes. Communication. Buy your tickets, we'll send you a PDF and tell you what to wear, and the answer is dress appropriately. Right, 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 you know? yeah. It's like, come on. It's so there, all these things can be addressed. My dad, like I said, grew up poor. He loved classical music. He also loved, uh, you know, uh, hillbilly music because he was one, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, he loved jazz and, and all this kind of stuff, and he married a classical musician. So he became that much more excited. But he never, I think, got into opera that much. You yeah, know, he would just go. You know, yeah, he would fall asleep in the box usually. <laughs> you know, but, Good for him. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, any, any uh, so, so we're, we're looking at the CSO as another entity that is suffering from lack of adapt adaptable skills or skills for adapt adaptability, which is so. destroying all kinds of businesses large and small throughout uh, throughout the country, probably the world, uh, yeah, the things things are, are, are changing. And people want, people want honesty and uh, uh, transparency because they can get it by going on their phone and looking up reviews. They can find, yeah. they can find out anything about what they're getting into. And so, uh, you know, now quit with the, the you know, the, the old school marketing. Marketing is no longer advertising. Marketing is, like you said, being honest, sharing with people. Communicating. communicating. Not marketing, I wouldn't say, is about being honest. We've all seen well, dishonest marketing. But, it's but it become, is about communicating it's, an idea. But it's become a more of an honest thing. You know? Oh, well, it's become certainly people, more transparent. People can even tell can, if there's yeah. a fake review yeah. on a Google for page. For sure, now. for sure. So it's like the pe people are a lot smarter than they're given credit for being. You know, you know I'll tell you with, with, you know, we were just talking about some common sense ideas, you know, that they could do and this and that, which leads me to believe that this isn't about money at all over there. This is about busting the union. Which and is, I, I believe that's where we're at. Which is sad because 100 years ago, people in Chicago were literally dying to get themselves fair pay and benefits and things like that. And exactly. people don't even realize, unless they read a history book, the abuses that were bestowed upon workers in everything. Right. How long they had to work. That Henry Ford was a hero when he created an eight hour workday and uh, uh, fair pay. Uh, and had three shifts a day, five days a week, because nobody ever, nobody had ever done anything like that. Of course, he knew that the profit motive was tremendous. He made millions of dollars as a result of taking care of the people who were doing the work. Why wouldn't you take care of the people that are doing the work? Right. It doesn't even make sense to yeah, me. It doesn't make sense. We can find fault with, with unions, we can find, you know, just like we can find fault with anything else. Right. But why don't we look at what they do provide? And it's the, you know, well, in this of, case, you know, it's the best of the best. It provides them with a living wage in their retirement. So they don't have to go and be, after being a world-class musician, turning into a greeter at a big Spock store. Right. 
this is how they can afford their later years. years. It was the con it was the deal that was presented to them. It was the contract they signed. They kept up their end of the bargain. Management up, yes. needs to figure out how to honor that. I uh, I'll, I'll close with this, and and because I, I know you have a store to run. Yes. And, uh, and the I, I heard a great uh, story from author Seth Godin about a the school district in a, a town in uh, New York State where he's from, and the school district uh, they voted uh, to pass the budget for the schools uh, that year. Now they're all blue ribbon schools, so like you're talking about with the CSO, the best of the best, mm -hmm. right? Budget did not pass, they were gonna have to make all these horrible cuts, like, and they're not even thought, thoughtful cuts, they're just like, the first things to go are the best things, like the arts, and things, right. you know? Uh, without, any, without any reflection on how music, you know, improves math and science scores, any of that kind of stuff doesn't happen, just out the door like we did 50 years ago before we knew any of these things, right? But in New York State, they get a second vote. So they had like, a, I don't know, however long, a week or two before they could do the vote again. And instead of running around and pleading and arguing and burning effigies and carrying angry signs down the street, uh, a few families decided that they were going to take blue ribbons and tie hundreds of blue ribbons to the trees out in front of the school, right in the center of town, and remind everybody of their story. Our story is that yeah. we have the best schools you can get. And next thing I knew, hundreds of people had done the same thing all over town. When they voted again, it was two to one for the budget. Because people were reminded of the, the value of what they were doing. That it isn't about money, it's about creating value in people's lives. Right. And education. Right. That's what you do with this store. That sounds to me like that was your mission when you bought the place. Yeah. Thank you for doing it and being a part of Rogers Park history. It's always a pleasure working with you. You too, my friend. You too. Right. Super fun. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Peace.